You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. But the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Glad that you are here this morning. I hope you have had a wonderful morning thus far. Uh, Mine has been exciting as well. I locked myself out of the house uh, before our first service, and um, my wife had to come quickly and let me in. Um, I've been also uh, tearing this place apart for food prior to getting up here because for some reason, had an overwhelming, just, um, I can't think straight. I need some kind of food inside me. Um, nothing like to be afraid of, no medical um, issue. I don't think just um, severe hunger, okay? So, um, so we're here now, though. I'm uh, ready to, to do this with you, and I hope that uh, the Lord has been working in your heart as you have come in this morning, and I pray that he would do a great and awesome work as you hear God's word and as we talk about it together. And so um, as we discuss this, um, what I want you to pray, because specifically of the nature of this passage, is that God would really open your eyes and soften your heart to the reality of the state of, of your own salvation, Right. And, and really to, to, to really seek the Lord to say, like, Lord, have you done this great saving work in my life? OK, it's not a bad question to ask. OK, it's not a bad question to ask and to see the reality of, of what true salvation looks like. In addition to this, uh, my, my prayer today is that, that you would learn a little bit about what the response would be like when you share the gospel, when you are sharing the gospel with other people, what responses will look like. And we're going to talk about why uh, that's our prayer today. But let's go to the Lord now. Let's ask him for his blessing. Let's ask him, God, help me to see um, the, the saving work that you've done in my heart. Is Have you saved me from my sin? Have you given me salvation? And in addition to that, let me help me to understand what I should expect when I share the gospel with other people, what the responses I should expect um, them to have um, as I share the gospel. We're going to see this picture of what Jesus is showing us. And so let's ask him um, for his blessing as we pursue this. Father, we come before you um, this morning and we ask that you would grant us just um, wisdom, insight from your word as we just look at it, as we walk through it, as we look at this truth. I pray that you would give real clarity to everybody in this room today as to the state of their own salvation. God, I know that that's a heavy, heavy task. I know that that's a heavy statement. But God, there could be nothing more important. I pray that everyone in this room would encounter true salvation with you and be saved. God, I pray that also in this room as as we as as believers, those who have trusted in in you, Jesus, for the salvation of their souls, as, as we live on mission and share this gospel with others, I pray that we would become aware of the responses that we'll see and receive. Once again, God, our own salvation and the responses that we'll see as we share this salvation with others. 
I pray that you would make this clear to us today as we look at your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at today, you can open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, we're going to be in verses 4 through 15. That's where we are in our series, Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. We're walking through the book of Luke, okay? We're just walking right through it. What we've seen so far in this story, um, to summarize, is that Jesus is on earth, the Messiah, the coming one, the anointed one. He's being rejected, okay? This is the response that people are giving to this Messiah, ready? They're rejecting him. Why are they rejecting him? Well, they're not, he's, he's not that people want. He's not what people would expect um, the, the, the Messiah to be like. The messianic expectations are not being met. Now, you, although this might sound odd to you, that you would become very familiar with this if you just, if you looked around at, at the culture just a little bit, right? We have plenty of people who, who want to come in and, and, and see and understand what Christianity is like, what Jesus is like, and yet um, maybe come to a place in which Jesus does not meet their expectations, He's not who they want them to be, right? And so therefore, this is not the Messiah I want, and rejection is, is the response. This is what's happening as the Messiah is on earth. And the reason why this is happening as we move forward in the story, we see this picture of this prostitute woman who's got no time to be picky about whether or not this Jesus is the kind of Messiah that, he, that, that, he, that she wants. She's got no time for that because she needs the forgiveness for her sins. And so we've been watching this, this ministry of Jesus, and this is the, kind of the past trajectory that we've seen. Rejection because he's not the Messiah that they want, and yet this prostitute woman who's got no room to be picky, she needs forgiveness. And we learn this principle as we're moving through Jesus and his ministry moving through Jesus's ministry, that, that he, we see this need for Jesus, we, we follow him, we, we, we love him, we accept him when we understand the truth of the fact that we need forgiveness of, of sin. When we see our sin, we turn to Christ for the forgiveness of it. We got no time to be picky. And so we're watching this. And as we Move forward, last week we saw the crowd that's with Jesus as he's sharing this gospel. And the crowd is a bunch of redeemed sinners who have been forgiven, right? That's who's with him. It's not those who have no need. It's the ones who have been forgiven. And what Jesus is doing now is he's taking this group who has been forgiven because they knew they were sinners. They received forgiveness. They don't look real great. They're the 12 knuckleheads and some women who've been healed of various diseases and uh, of, of some, some plagues in their lives or, or, um, or physical ailments. And they're moving this gospel forward. Now, Jesus is taking the gospel forward, right? And he's not doing it in synagogues anymore because they're rejecting him, remember? And so now he's in the open air. He's taking it to various places, towns, villages. He's proclaiming this gospel, the kingdom of God, to people for their salvation. And as we've seen these responses, rejection, no need for forgiveness, response of the prostitute, I need forgiveness, so I want to receive you, Jesus. Jesus now, with this crowd, as he shares the gospel, is making it very explicit today in our chapter about what the responses will be to the gospel. He's being explicit now. He's sharing with us. He's showing us what the responses will be in an explicit way as the gospel is shared. How will people respond? Some will reject, some will receive, but how? Why? Why is this happening? 
And what we'll understand today is as he's carrying the gospel forth and he shares this gospel and people are rejecting it and some are receiving it and we're watching these responses take place, it's very helpful for us to understand this as he explains because listen, what we learn from this as we watch how people respond to the gospel, what the responses will be as the gospel goes forth, we can take a look, as I prayed earlier, at two things. First, our own response to the gospel. What is our response to the gospel of Jesus Christ? And before you move too quickly and say, well, I received it, I'm done, I prayed the prayer, right? Before you move too quickly, just hold for a second. I want you to see the reality of the responses that we watch today and truly ask yourself, what is my response to the gospel message? Okay, because there could be no more important question that you could ask yourself. There could be no more of an important question that you need to come to terms with. What is my response to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Okay, and secondly, what we understand from watching this is what others' response will be as we share the gospel. So if you are a Christian and you live on mission, which we should all be doing, sharing the gospel with those around us on a regular basis as we go out throughout our lives, we can expect certain responses. Remember, we've seen the rejection. He's not the Messiah that they wanted. We've seen the woman who's got no need to be picky, right? She needs this forgiveness, so she loves Jesus with all of her heart. And now Jesus is being explicit and giving us the full scope of how people will respond as the gospel moves forward. So, once again, ask yourself, how will I respond? How have I responded to the gospel? And what should I expect as I share the gospel? He's being explicit now. And listen, the reason why this is so important, I think, um, for you today is because of what um, I'm burdened for in our culture. What I'm burdened for on the North Shore, our community, our culture, and, and honestly, American Christianity. What we see in these responses should shed light into some, maybe some things that aren't talked about very much, which is that not everybody who claims to be a Christian is one. And I don't mean that in a judgmental way. I mean that in a heartbroken way. That if we've maybe prayed a prayer and yet forgotten about Jesus and have gone on with our lives and, and we think we've truly come to know the Lord. Or that just culturally, because we live in America and because Christianity is the dominating force that transcends our, our um, religious culture, that I, I, everybody's a Christian, and I, and I am too. Or the fact that I... I say that I have maybe received Jesus, but he's not the main part of my life. He's not the center of my life. I, my focus is not on him. His word is not my daily bread. He's, I've not given up all to follow him, and I'm not living on mission for him, and yet um, I would say that I'm a Christian. Now, the only thing that makes us a Christian is the reception of what Jesus has done for us, receiving what Jesus has done for us on the cross, right? But the question is, have you really received that? The truth of the gospel message. And the real question is, those who you share with, will, 
Will they? Have they truly received this gospel? Will they receive this, this true gospel message? Really, salvation's at stake here. And what Jesus is saying, again, is, is not everyone who claims to be one is one, so we got to make sure that you are one. Now, listen, the reason why I know that this is Jesus' tone in this, in this section before we read is because this is marking a new phase in his ministry. He's got phase one of his ministry, Galilean ministry. He's got phase two, which is going to continue to chapter nine, verse 50. And then he's going to head to Jerusalem, and he's going to die there. In this phase two, the reason why we see this turning, the reason why we say that, is because at this turning point, Jesus is explicitly no longer concerned with the crowds. He is no longer concerned with the crowds. Not that he really ever has been, but I mean, he is really no longer concerned at all with the crowds. He is concerned with making true disciples who understand the gospel message, who turn away from living for themselves, trust in him for salvation, and truly follow him wherever he might take them for his glory. Like, that's who he's concerned with. We talked a few weeks ago about the idea of the, the 300 versus the masses, He's concerned with the, with the warriors. He's concerned with, the, with those who would truly trust in his name. This is a turning point. The crowds he could care less about. He's not interested in becoming the popular preacher or the biggest church on the block. He's in no way uh, committed to superficial adherence. At this point, it, it, it might sound harsh, but this is the truth. He is not interested in the crowds. He is calling people to true discipleship. That's why we know in this parable what he is doing is he is creating a separation and saying, not everybody who follows me has truly received me. And we got to make sure that we make this distinction so that those who have received me Follow me to the end, and those who haven't, realize it. So this is what we're realizing. This is, this is the kind of the, the, what's happening in this, in this um, I don't know, whole passage of, of, what, of what Jesus is saying here. Listen, this is the, the part that we need to understand is we are called to truly follow Christ, surrender all things for his namesake. And those of us who have, he's calling us to share that. And this is how people will respond when we share it. And first and foremost, we have to ask ourselves, how have we responded to it? He's creating this separation. Second Timothy de describes this situation well. Listen, we're having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. This is the culture we live in. And Jesus is creating the separation. Right? Or 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they're going to accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. <coughs> not crying, I'm literally just got something in my throat. It would be better if I was crying because it would seem like maybe I care more. But I do care a lot. <laughs> I wasn't trying to say that. I should just be quiet. Okay. All right, we'll turn away from listening to the truth, and they're going to wander off into myths. This is the reality, and Jesus is saying not everyone who is claiming to follow me has truly been saved. This is what the responses will be. This is how we should assess our own salvation, and this is how you should assess the salvation of others. And the call is this. Make sure that you've trusted in Christ 
by making it to the end of your life still holding on to Jesus. And don't play around with walking away or when your heart's cold. You gotta ask yourself some serious questions. Have I really come into saving faith? I've known about him maybe a lot. I've known about the information, but have I really decided to leave myself as the Lord of my life and follow Jesus? And you got to be committed to sharing the gospel, but don't get too discouraged when people reject it because he is showing us that the responses will vary. So I've repeated myself multiple times to try to get this point across. Let's move into the text, and he's going to show it to us himself. Chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. And when a crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on the rock, and as it grew, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it, and some fell on the good soil. And grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that the seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this the seed is the word of God, the ones along the path are those who have heard. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no roots. They believe for a while. And in a time of testing, they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked out by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. This is the parable that we're looking at here, and it's incredible because the tone of what this is is maybe hard to understand, but I will indeed tell you for sure, Jesus is being pretty stern here. He is making a separation, okay? And so that's the tone that we're taking with it. Now, the way we're going to divide this up is by seeing the two sections. We're going to see the parable itself, and then we're going to see the explanation. And in it, we're going to understand these principles that Jesus is trying to to make. He's separating those who are not true believers with those who who are true believers. He is showing us that we need to take a hard look at our reasons for deciding to follow him and look at our own salvation. And he's telling us what the responses will be as we share this gospel with others. The first thing that we see is the parable itself, the parable of the soil. The parable of the soil, number one. And in this parable, verses four through 10, this is really what it is of. It's the parable of 
soil. Now, in your Bible, it might be described as the parable, I don't know about yours, but mine with the header is a parable of the sower, right? Now, the sower is in view throughout all of Scripture because the ultimate sower is Jesus himself who's sowing the seed, specifically in this context as well. So the, soy, the sower is the, the focal point of all of Scripture, but the sower is not necessarily the main point of this passage, really, at all. The focus of this passage is on the soil. Really, the sower is not in view here. He is not um, greater or worse than, than um, any other sower. We don't see any information about the sower other than he's just scatter, scattering seed. The seed is really not even in focus here either, right? The seed's the same, and the seed is, we don't see whether or not the seed is great or, or not great. We just see the fact that the sower is sowing and the seed falls, and the difference between all of this is the soil itself, right? So this is what we see. Let's start in verse four. Verse four, when we see that the crowd is gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable. Now here's what's happening. Jesus is traveling, as we saw last week, right? He's kicked out of the synagogue. He's rejected. So he's traveling, open air preaching. He's preaching to the people in the towns and the villages. He didn't come for the religious. He came for the sinners, right? Those who knew that they were sick in need of a physician. This is who he's saving, the poor, the powerless, the ones who need forgiveness of sin. He's in the towns. He's in the villages. And what he's doing is he's proclaiming the gospel message. That's what we know he's doing, the kingdom of God. How do we know that? Well, what we discussed last week, verses 1 through three. If you look at them just briefly, okay, what we see is that verse one, soon after he went through the cities and the villages doing what? Proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. So that's what he's doing. He's teaching people the gospel message, right? Open air preaching. He's, he, that's what he's doing. Now, while he's doing that, what we see, verse four, is that there's a a crowd that's gathering. And what the idea is here as we look at this, the crowd was gathering, verse 4, and people from town after town came to him, right? This is, this is what's happening. He's moving along through the towns and the villages, and a crowd's gathering gives us this idea that people are accumulating, like a snowball effect. As he goes from town to town, village to village, he's picking up people, right? He's picking up crowds. People are accumulating. They're following him as he's moving around these towns, right? He's got this snowball effect going on. And now to give you proper context, because listen, this parable is seen in two gospels in Matthew chapter 13 and Mark chapter four. What's interesting is that other places give us insight into supplementing so we can see the, the totality. Some, um, some of the passages in, Mark, in Matthew chapter 13, Mark chapter 4, give us um, insight into different details. We can put them all together and see this, this picture. And so Matthew chapter 13 shows us the, more of the specific setting of this particular day. Okay, so let's put that up on the screen. This is the same instance prior to him teaching the parable. This is the picture. That same day, Jesus went out of the house 
and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into the boat, and he sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying. And then he proceeds to tell the parable that we're about to read. So this is the picture. He's traveling from town to town. He's got this group of 12 knuckleheads and the women who have been healed, and they're ministering to him. They're following him. He's going from town to town, village to village. He's picking up people as he goes. Now there's a huge crowd. He's in the house. And as he leaves the house, he's going to sit by the sea, probably to pray or to maybe to teach more because he's teaching everywhere he goes. These great crowds are now gathering around him. They're just following him everywhere, multitudes of people. And so as he gets backed up into the, to the sea, he, he, they get to the shore. And so what he decides to do is get in the boat, sit down and push out from the shore so that he could teach the people, right? And so they couldn't get to him and, and smother who, uh, who he is and what he's trying to do. And, and so he gets in this, in this boat and he sits down as a rabbi would do, right? A rabbi would teach from sitting down, and he was going to teach them these things, teach it to the masses, the people who were there, right? And so as he's doing this, undoubtedly, people are accumulating for various reasons. That's how, why we're looking at these specifics, is people are accumulating for different reasons. He's picking up these people along the way in the crowds, but some of them are being picked up because of the miracles that he's doing. He's healing. He's very unique. He's a very unique individual. No one's seen anybody like this man ever who can do the things that he has done because he's the son of God, right? But in addition to that, his teaching holds power. It's very unique in the sense that it's, he's speaking with authority, like this is true, what I'm saying. And they're like, how do you know that's true? But he's the son of God and he is the truth, right? And so what we see even in John chapter 7, verse 46, is they say no one has ever spoken like this man before. So this is the picture. He's accumulating people. He's got his core. He's, he's traveling from town to town. He's preaching. People are accumulating. He's leaving the house. The crowds are coming. He gets in the boat. He pushes out. He sits down, and he's speaking to the people. In Luke chapter 8, verse 4, as we continue, he speaks to them in a, in a parable. In a parable. Now, as he's about to speak to them, we see that Luke tells us he speaks to them in a parable. Now, um, we don't do this often, but the, you know, I have to do a lot of research. I, I love to do that, but helping us understand truly what the text is saying. And as we look at the language here in the Greek, the parabole, this idea of a, of a parable, it's really pretty simple to understand, and it gives us insight as we understand this. In the English, the word parabola, right, it's just meaning a comparison, Something is put beside something else in order to create a comparison to help with better understanding, right? So if you think about the English prefix, uh, uh, para, P-A-R-A, like parallel, right? Putting two things, they're, they're beside each other or they, they come adjacent to one another, right? And so we look at this idea, it's putting something beside something else, okay, in order to assist it like a parachurch organization, right? Like the Nehemiah Projects, as, as it's created um, with Mike, who's in the back there, and, and Pastor Chad, that's a parachurch organization. It comes alongside the church to help facilitate the ministry. That's what 
para means. And so this para is putting these things alongside each other, combining them, assisting, to assist. They're adjacent to one another to create an assisting effort. This particular moment is to help us understand a spiritual truth better by putting these two things side by side with one another. And what they are is a story and a spiritual reality. And that's what's happening here. So he's sitting and he's teaching them in this parable, this story, side by side with a spiritual truth to help with better understanding, right? And so now he speaks the parable. This is the, this is the picture that we see. And the parable is one that's pretty simple for people to understand. Listen, in this culture, undoubtedly everyone understands this parable. Because while they're sitting there, they're probably looking at what he's talking about, okay? It's probably like all around them as he's talking, okay? And what he describes here in this parable is very, very unique because what he's describing is those who would follow him and the different responses that those who are following him might have to this gospel message. And what he is doing, no pun intended, is weeding out those who are not following him truly and have trusted in him and those who have and illustrating to us a different responses and challenging the people there to take an immediate look at their own response to the gospel. And so what we see is this parable of seed and soil and a sower. And this is the parable we So we see these different soils we see the same seed, we see the same sower, and we see different results, okay? And so we're going to look at these four soils that yield four different results with the same seed and this sower, and then we're going to uncover the truth that lies within it. We see the result number one. It includes the soil of the path. Result number one. The result is in mind here. The soil this time particularly is the path and the seed that falls upon it and we're gonna see the result of it. So the soil's different, the seed is the same in all of these and the results are different. So as we look at this parable, what we see is first he says, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed his seed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. So that's what we see as the result of this, and this is what we see. The sower went out. Now, we get the idea here that if you take a pause for just a second, you get the idea here that Jesus is talking about himself. Now, he's not focusing on himself here in the explanation. He doesn't say that, but you get this idea. I mean, think about this, right? He's traveling town to town, accumulating people. He's in this house. He moves out of the house. The great crowds are here. He backs up to the water. He gets on the boat. He's looking at this people. He's starting to teach them, and he speaks in this way to, to create this story aligned with the spiritual truth as he's teaching, and he's teaching about a sower who goes out and sows this seed. You get an idea that he's He's talking about himself. He's not the focus of it, and not even in the explanation, but on his way, he talks about this. And if we stop here and ask a question about that, it gives us the impression 
that Jesus isn't readily soaking up the popularity of the crowds who are there. Listen to this. He's stopping for a second, and he's speaking of himself, in a sense, of this, as this sower who's sowing this seed, and the authenticity of people's responses and the lack thereof essentially creating a separation in the crowd. If Jesus was concerned about massing the crowds, about becoming the most popular rabbi in town, right? About the fame and the fortune that come along with that position. There is no fortune um, or fame. But if there was, right, then he wouldn't do this. He wouldn't create a distinction and a separation to say there was a sower, he was going out to sow the seed, uh-huh. And some people responded this way and some people didn't. Some were truly his disciples. Some were, were not. And therefore, I'm looking at all of you guys and saying some of you are truly following me for the wrong reasons. He wouldn't do that. He's right now concerned with calling those who are true disciples to ante up and follow him and those who are not to understand that they're not. And so this is what he does. He talks about this sower. He, and he talks about this sower, verse five, this sower went out to sow his seed. And so again, gives the impression that that's what Jesus is doing. Although he is not the focal point and we become sowers as we become Christians as well. But this is the idea. He's moving us into a place that helps us see him as the sower. Yet, as he sowed the seed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. So as we see the story itself, again, it's an easy concept. The culture knows this story. It's not anything complex, right? The sower would plow these lines. He would plow these deep channels, these furrows in his field. The farmer would, and he would spread the seed, probably carrying it with him and then throwing it out, a, uh, what they would typically call as broadcasting, literally broadcasting. Right, and, um, and so this is what the sower would do. As he sows the seed, um, he would throw it far. Between these fields, what we see is that there were paths, okay? There were paths that were probably just a few feet wide along the edges between the fields. They were probably beaten down hard clay, not plowed, walking paths that were dried by the sun, and people would weave in and out of the fields. This is how they would go from place to place because there were fields, everywhere. Now, in this, what would happen, we would see is that um, people would continually go over the same paths because they didn't go in the fields, and then this path would be beaten down. And we see this picture. Remember when Jesus and his disciples were walking um, through the fields, and they're plucking the grain, and they got in trouble with the Pharisees? You guys remember that story? Well, that's because they're right there next to the fields, their paths. So this is what's happening. And so as he's broadcasting, this seed doesn't make it in the soil, this first seed. And as it makes it on the path, listen, it's too hard for the seed to penetrate. There's no penetration for this seed whatsoever. Doesn't even penetrate a little bit. Not even a little bit. It hits this path and it bounces, right? It just lays there. No penetration whatsoever. And as this seed, verse 5, falls along this path because it's a path for walking, it's undoubtedly trampled under people's feet, under their sandals or their bare feet. 
And then, in addition to that, which is common, the birds have lunch, right? They find the seed and they eat it. And so I want to show you Matthew 13, 4 and Mark 4, 4, which are the, um, which are the other uh, passages, Matthew 13, Mark 4, that we see the same parable. And I'm going to show you some, um, some pictures of, the, of, each, uh, par- of each seed and, and each path as we look at this, each soil, just to help us. Maybe there's some more insights we can gain as we compare them. But here, the, the thing that we see is really the birds and the birds is in view here. Um, and he sowed, and some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. And as he sowed, Mark 4, 4, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. The birds' main focus in these ones, and they come and they snatch the seed. That's the result. Now, notice here, real quick, before we move on to the second one, this is in no way, shape, or form about the skill of the sower. There's no, the skill of the sower is not in view here. The, the quality of the seed is not in question here. It doesn't say anything about the quality of the seed. The seed is assumed to be of the same quality. It didn't say, hey, this seed fell on the path. This seed was kind of jacked up. It had some weird genetic mutations, and so it didn't take root, right? And therefore, that's the reason. It had nothing to do with the seed or the sower, okay? Like the sower had bad eyesight, so he was throwing it everywhere and didn't make it in the... I mean, it doesn't have anything to do with that. It just has to do with the soil, and so it's about the different types of results from the different types of sowers, uh, of soils, not the skill of the sower or the state of the seed, the soil that's in focus. The result number two, we see the seed on the rock. So it's a different soil, same seed, different result. Verse six, what we see is some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no Moisture. Now, this makes sense when we understand the idea of this is not rocks on the surface, because undoubtedly those rocks would be removed, right? Those rocks would be removed as the plower is plowing the field. Now, Israel is an extremely rocky place, right? For um, literally rocky place. And, but those would be removed and the rocks um, would not be in the plower's field. And yet, As the plower is plowing the field, these rocks would be underneath the surface, not too far down, but down far enough that the plow wouldn't hit. So there'd be a top layer of soil. The plow wouldn't be able to reach them. They'd be too far below, but the soil wouldn't be too deep either because the rock would be there. So the plants, what would happen is in these places, they would spring up really quick. As the seed hit, They would take from the nutrients around and they would look like they're growing. Like, yes, they're going to make it, right? This seed is taking root. It's going to grow. We're going to have a great plant here. And it's kind of just hiding among the nutrients around it. And it can't develop any type of root system and go deep enough to develop its own root system and last and grow. And so it can't go down. Looks like it's growing. Looks like it's really growing. But it's really feeding off the nutrients of what's around it, but it never develops a root system of its own. And then when the sun comes, it dries it out, and the root system fails because the plant didn't have enough moisture, couldn't go down far enough to absorb it. So this is the picture. Mark chapter 4, what we see is this Same kind of picture, but it helps us to understand it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground. This is the same image. 
where it did not have much soil, so it's kind of surface-level soil, immediately it sprang up, but since it had no depth of soil, when the sun rose, it scorched it since it had no root, and it withered away. Matthew 13, 5 through 6, other seeds fell on the rocky ground, and they did not have much soil. Immediately they sprang up, same thing, had no depth of soil. When the sun rose, scorched, no root, withered away. Same thing in each one of those. So we see this second result, the second soil with the seed. Result number three, what we see is the seed among the thorns. The seed among the thorns, verse 7. So, some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. Chokehold, right? Literally, what's happening in this instance is this seed, as it's sown into the soil, there's weeds, there's thorns, there's thistles in this soil. And what's happening is that these weeds and these thorns and these thistles, which, by the way, the same word that's used for Jesus' crown, okay? And so, like, Jesus' crown made of a ring of probably thorns and weeds combo probably wasn't this perfectly woven um, thorn branch, right? This is what's here. They're prickly plants of vigorous growth. They grow fast. They're threatening. They're surrounding they multiply. Like, you know when you mow the lawn, and you're like, yep, got those weeds, right? And then you see next week that that patch of weeds, like, grew, because everything flew up in the air. These seeds went all over, and now, and soon enough, your whole lawn is full of weeds, right? Anybody else? All right. You guys got perfectly manicured lawns? I do not, okay? Try. We try our best. Um, but what happens is these multiply fast. And these roots and these thorns and these thistles, they don't need a lot to, to be alive. And so they, they're, they're sustained, and they, but they multiply fast, and they, they, they're fast acting, they're vigorous, they're harsh, they grow, they surround, they multiply, they're many, they kill the root development, they entangle, they prevent growth, they take away from the plant, right? They suck the nutrients, they're toxic, they block the sunlight, they choke it out, they take away from the growth of the plant and the development of the roots. And so these thorns and these thistles, from afar, when you look at this and you look at the ground and it looks like, man, there's a patch of grass growing there, you know? But they might look good from, from the outside, but they're toxic. And this is the picture in... Matthew and Mark, the same thing. Other seeds fell along the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And other seeds, Mark 4, fell among the thorns, grew up and choked it, yielded no grain. Choke it meaning removing the nutrients. No more water. No more nutrients in the soil. And also probably weaving around it and choking it out. This is the picture. And the result number four, what we see is this seed in the good soil. The seed in the, in the good soil in the good soil. Now, as we read this, this last one, verse eight, some fell into the good soil and the soil grew and yielded a hundredfold, right? As we see this picture of the good soil, this is what the, this is what the farmer wanted all along, right? He's casting and the soil's the issue. But this is what he wanted all along, right? For this to take place, for the seed to take root and to grow. And, but various things have happened based upon the quality of the soil. 
And so in contrast to these previous soils, this seed falls into good soil where it yields an abundant crop. And so Luke is abbreviating by showing us right to a hundredfold, right? Well, Mark chapter four, verse eight, it says other seeds fell into the good soil, produced grain growing up and increasing, yielding 30, 60, a hundredfold. Matthew 13, eight tells us in reverse, other seeds fell among the good soil, produced grain, some a hundredfold, 60-fold, 30-fold, Right? But this idea here is 100 times its original. So can you imagine a seed that has grown up to be a plant and producing 100 times its original, right? And then a, 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 a land field, can't get my word there, full of it. Now, this idea, just to pause for a second, take a detour, I mean, think about this idea of about multiplication that the Bible gives us. This seed takes root, it comes up, it produces a hundredfold, a hundred times itself. And when those seeds die, they fall to the ground and they produce plants that yield tenfold, thirtyfold, sixtyfold, a hundredfold times themselves. And when those seeds die, and it gives us this picture is the gospel seed goes into our hearts and we grow and we multiply our lives and we produce ourselves a hundred times over and those people, when they die to themselves and live for Christ, they multiply, right? And they produce crops a hundred times themselves and when they die to themselves and live for Christ, they produce this crop and it reproduces itself a hundred times. This is how the world is reached with the gospel. This is how multiplication takes place. This is the idea. This good soil, this root, it grows. It goes deep. And it produces a good crop a hundred times as much of itself. So this is the picture. This is this picture. This is the parable. Now, as we close out this section, and I don't have time to really spend a lot of time on this, um, but as we close this out, in verse 8, the second half, what we see is Jesus closes this out by saying, he who has ears, let him hear. In verse 9, when the disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that they may be seeing, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand, right? And before we get to the explanation, which is in verse 11, we see Jesus say this. Now, what's happening here? Well, this is where we know that Jesus is really creating a separation and a judgment from those who believe and those who don't. Those who have God working in their hearts and who God has revealed these truths to and those who he hasn't and he isn't. This is the ones who, who will see this truth and respond to it and those who will not. You see, we're turning here to a place in which Jesus is creating a separation. There's a, a judgment here. People will be held accountable for what they hear and they see and they know. And those who God is revealing these truths to will see and understand it. And those who he's not will not. And he's calling the people here to those who are hearing this people into a, a, a deeper level of, 
of understanding for those who have truly believed. You see, we're turning here into a place of creating a separation. We, see, we often think that the times that Jesus uses parables are times in, what, in which he creates simplicity uh, of story. And it's really the exact opposite. In times of parables, Jesus is not making things more simple. He's intensifying them. It's really the opposite. Because those uh, those who see these parables, it demands thought and spiritual earnestness, stories that yielded their meaning only by those prepared to search for it. They separate the seeker from the casual hearer, but in addition to that, there's judgment because it separates those who God's working in their heart, opening up their eyes and softening their hearts to the truth of the gospel and those whom he's not. This, the parables are not time for more simplicity and ease. They're, they intensify the calling. And so he's creating a separation here. Now, what he's doing with this parable is not the same as using like, extreme allegory. If anyone, you know, it's, da- it's dangerous. What I mean by that is like speaking of all spiritual truths in some allegorical sense that just is everything is images and pictures, right? No, we need the foundational truth of the word of God. But Jesus here is showing us a parable to intensify the reality of this, show us a picture along with the explanation of the spiritual truth. And so what he's showing us here is that he's, he's creating a separation. He's intensifying this message. He's not simplifying it. He's going to create those who would be Followers of him and those who would not, who God is showing the truth and who he's not, those who would search for its meaning with spiritual earnestness and those who were casual hearers following him for the wrong reasons. That's how we know that this is the tone. Matthew 13, 34. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Look at this. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. He is intensifying this. So, who God was truly working in. 2 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of God, of the Spirit of God. They are folly to him, right? But not, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So God is showing that some, he's opening his eyes and some they're not. He's creating a distinction. So as we see this, we move into the explanation, okay? And this is the easy part. Um, but it's also the most um, potent for us. And we're almost done. We've got about 10 minutes. You ready? Verses 11 through 15. What he does is he shares the explanation. Verse 11, he begins to explain. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. So we understand, stop right there. That's what the seed is. The seed is the word. It's the gospel. As it goes out, as it's broadcasted, right? And we understand that the sower's not in view here. The sower here is the son of God who is sowing the truth of the gospel, sowing the seed. But he makes us ambassadors for Christ. So now you as a Christian are a sower, right? And so this is what you should expect, but this is also... First and foremost, how you should look at yourself because you are not only a sower, but first you are a receiver of the seed. Your heart is the soil. The heart condition is the issue. So we're looking at ourselves and then looking at the response 
that will be had as we share the gospel. This keeps you from being overly discouraged, by the way, as you share the gospel message. Not about you. The message is true, and it's sure. Not about the message. It's about the heart and how some will receive it and how some won't. And this is just the truth. He's separating them. And he's calling people who are true disciples to follow him. So, the sower sows the seed. The seed is the word of God. Verse 12. The ones along the path are those who have heard. And then the devil's come, devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And so the first thing that we see in this parable explained is the immediate unbelief. This is result one in the explanation that coincides with result one from the parable. Immediate unbelief. Now this idea is, is, is the idea where there's literally no penetration. The seed is sown, it falls on the hard path, the seed penetrates in no way through the path, the soil that's there whatsoever. And the idea is the word of God. As it's sown, it doesn't penetrate at all. Okay, we see this all the time. And my prayer is that today, if this is you, that your eyes would be open and your heart would be softened and that the truth of this wouldn't just glaze over, right? And that the truth of the gospel wouldn't just glaze over and you would just say like, yeah, this is cool, but when can we get out of here? Because it's a three-day weekend and I'm, I'm ready to roll, right? Like, what he's doing is he's, he's showing us here that some will listen to this same message and it just won't penetrate. You ever sit with people who you're sharing the gospel and I don't mean this in a condemning way, I'm just painting the reality. I don't want this to be you and I want you to know what to expect as you're sharing it. Who literally, this gospel message that means so much to you, that has saved your soul, whom Jesus has has come, you are one Jesus has come for and saved and paid for all your sin, past, present, future, to bring you into a relationship with God. You can't even get over it. You can't believe it that he would forgive you of your sin and use you for his glory. I mean, really? Like me? And you're sharing this message with one, in, with one person you love. And I mean, they look like they're getting it and understanding the facts, but it's just doing nothing to penetrate their heart. This is this picture. And I pray that that's not you right now as we've been talking through the gospel message, that that would not be you, that you wouldn't sit and this, you're too good for this message or this message doesn't make any sense in its folly or you don't want it or it seems pointless and you're ready to go. If that's you, then this is you in the story. And you don't want that to be you. Because the one in which the gospel penetrates, the soil in which it penetrates, produces true salvation. This is this first picture. Verse 12, the ones along the path are those who have heard, and the devil comes and takes it away in the word, takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. If that's you, pray with all your heart the Lord would open up your eyes and soften your heart, that you would truly see the, the reality of the gospel, receive it and be saved. The Lord is the worker of the soil. You have to beg him that he would open up your eyes and incline your heart to the truth. What we see, result number two, I gotta move fast, is I feel like I say that every week. 
Um, you like you do say that every week. Result number two is the ones who permanently fall away. Permanently fall away. Verse two. So the ones who the gospel falls, their hearts, they never see it, take it in, never penetrates, snatched away, they don't believe, they're not saved, and then the second one here falls among the rock. Remember, it, it goes in, it says they hear the word, they receive it with joy. Remember, the, remember in the parable, the, it goes down a little bit, there's a thin la- layer of soil, they feed off the nutrients around it, but never go deep enough to produce its own roof and root. And so it looks like it's growing. You're like, yes, it made it. It's growing. And then the sun comes, scorches because it never had enough roots. They, have, they, they hear the word, they receive it with joy, and these have no roots. And they believe for a while. And then in a time of testing, they fall away. Now, listen, this is the truth that, that those who who hear this gospel, there are some who will receive this gospel with joy. Yes, Jesus is my Savior. I'm all in. I'm following. He's changing my life. Awesome. But never really understand the truth of what Jesus has done and what it means to turn away from self and trusting in self for salvation and looking to self and living for self and truly to trust in him, to leave father and mother, come after him, to take up your cross daily, to follow him, to no longer live for yourself, but to follow him, right? To become a new creation. Old things have gone. Behold, new new things have come to make him my treasure and sell everything else to have this field, to to follow him and to to have him to to trust fully that everything else would pale in comparison. They'd be like rubbish in comparison to knowing him, right? This is the story of my life. My whole life revolves around Jesus. I've surrendered myself and I've trusted in his salvation and I've laid myself fully upon, upon him. Like there's no true understanding in that way or true commitment, but just on the surface, he's going to change my life. It's going to be awesome but not a real understanding of what it means to respond to the gospel. Matthew 13, 20 illustrates as well. As what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears. By the way, this is the same. It's just giving us more insight into it, supplementary. And immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, so he endures for a while. And here in Luke, what we saw is that this one in particular um, uh, has no root, so a time of testing. In a time of testing, he falls away. Here in Matthew gives us um, more insight and specifics. In a time of tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, he immediately falls away. So this is what, when it takes any type of sacrifice to continue following Jesus, I'm out. And boy, do I wish I could spend weeks on this. Because this is our culture. Listen, church, I pray that you would have a true understanding of what it means to surrender your life to Christ and that God would allow the gospel to take root. And it would not be easy believism. Not saying that God doesn't change our lives and give us joy forevermore, but that it wouldn't be a kind of easy believism that is just not truth to how we should respond to the gospel, but that you would respond rightly and truly come into saving faith. I wish I could spend more time, but this is the story of our culture and what it looks like for the American Christianity um, version of Jesus.
So result number three then, what we see, I wish I could spend a lot of time on this one too, is as far as what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked out by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. Mark 4 says it like this, these are the ones who are sown along the, among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things come in and choke the word and it, produce, it proves unfruitful. So this is the same. It comes in, it takes root, it looks like it's growing and as it grows, the toxicity of everything surrounding it, the riches, the pleasures, the enticement of life, it looks better not to live for Jesus than it does to live for Jesus. I'd rather give my life to pleasure, money, success for the rest of my life than give my life to Jesus. And it begins to suck the nutrients out and it creates a permanency of falling away, showing that it had never taken root in the first place. And again, these two, I wish I could just spend, and I don't know, maybe I should spend two weeks on these two, right? Now you guys are putting me in a tough spot. All right. That these two describe our culture, right? Where we pray to receive Jesus and then along the way, the world just looks a whole lot better. I would rather be popular than I would to surrender my life and look like a fool for giving my life away for Jesus. The, the fourth, move it fast. Hold, the fourth is the one who the seed goes into the soil takes root, it holds fast to the end, and it bears fruit. This is the one who produces a crop. Verse, 14 as, um, verse 15, as for the one who falls among the good soil, those who are hearing the word of God hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and they bear fruit with patience. It's the one who understands, and it produces and multiplies. And let me just encourage you, because I gotta close. This is what God desires for you. That you would be one who hears the gospel. It would take root. The truth of the gospel would take root in how to respond. That you would be someone who becomes a true believer in Jesus Christ and you would hold on to it to the end. Jesus would be your life. And you would multiply your life and bear fruit for the rest of your life. I gotta tell you as we close, you can't do this on your own. 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you have believed, as the Lord has assigned. I planted, Apollos watered, but who gave the growth? So neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Church, if you need this to be true of your life, if you want this to be true of your life, it is God who must do it. He even showed us this in the purpose of the parables. And so for you, you gotta beg God, God, let me be the one who receives the gospel, holds fast, and bears fruit. And please know that those two responses in which we're burdened for will be true of some of us and of our culture. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would just do this with this message, what you, what you aim to do. I know there's so much more to be said and difficult to do it. But God, I, I pray with all my heart that we would see the truth of this, that we would become the ones who have received the gospel and grow up and hold fast and bear fruit. We pray for those 
who have maybe received it for joy, with joy, but just in a little while they're going to fade away because it requires sacrifice. And there comes persecution and testing and trial. God, reveal that to them before it's too late and save them. For those, God, who have, who have sprang up again with joy and yet the cares and the pleasures of this world will eventually choke out, be too enticing. They will surrender their previous faith, so-called faith, and pursue the world because it looks better. I pray that you would show them how temporary it is. I pray that you would show them that one day your, their soul will be required to stand before you and none of the treasures or the pleasures or the cares or the concerns of this world will mean anything. They're only faith in you. I pray that they wouldn't forfeit the whole world or forfeit their soul and gain the whole world, but yet, God, they would trust in you for true salvation. God, please use this by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.